In June of 2014, the Broadus family closed on what they thought was going to be their dream home on 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. Their excitement would continue to grow day by day as they painted the rooms, remodeled, and made the space their own before their official move-in day. Their opinion of the house, though, and the neighborhood would soon change, and their excitement would quickly turn to fear when they began to receive ominous, threatening letters from an anonymous stranger known only as the Watcher. Who was this person seeking vengeance on this happy family, and why did they stake their claim on 657 Boulevard? Welcome to True Crime IRL, true crime in real life. I'm your host, Kelly Barron's Brink, and this is the story of The Watcher. Hey everyone, I've really enjoyed my last few episodes of live interviews that I did from CrimeCon 2021 in Austin, Texas, and I hope you have enjoyed them too. But I am really excited to get back to my regular format of storytelling, and I'm super excited to bring you this episode because I got to collaborate with a friend of mine who is a very talented writer and storyteller. His name is Miles Tritle, and he's got a creepy paranormal podcast called The Warning Woods. Miles is stepping in as the voice of the Watcher for this episode, and I think you'll agree that his voice is enough to make you sleep with the lights on at night. Go check out his podcast, The Warning Woods, and follow him on Instagram if you want a good scare. You'll notice this isn't really my typical murder mystery kind of story, but it's actually kind of like much creepier of a mystery because sometimes the unknown is even more haunting. So I read a lot of articles and watched a lot of news clips when I was researching this case, but by far the most in-depth and most interesting article I read about the case of The Watcher was written by Reeves Weideman on The Cut. I'm posting the link to his article in my show notes, so you will definitely want to go check that out. And just a couple of items of business, I now have some merch available for purchase. I've got a few t-shirt designs on the website, and there'll be lots more items coming soon. I have stickers too, I know you guys love stickers. Go to truecrimeirl.com slash merch to check out the goods. I am also super duper excited to be attending the True Crime Podcast Festival in Kansas City, Missouri on July 3rd and 4th. Many of your favorite true crime podcasts will be there, including Cults, Crimes, and Cabernet, Truth and Justice with Bob Ruff, True Crime Bullshit, Generation Y, and so many more. If you're a fellow podcaster, I cannot wait to see you there. And if you're a fan, go get your tickets now by going to truecrimepodcastfestival.com. It's going to be a great time, as it always is when we true crime fans get together. 
I'm also excited to announce that I've got my first series of live shows in the works right now. More details to follow on that, but stay tuned. It's going to be a great time. I'll be starting off right here in my home state of Iowa, possibly the Denver area after that, but I promise to keep you posted on all the details. Now for a quick word from our sponsor. Now back to the show. 40-year-old Derek Broaddus and his wife Maria had everything to be thankful for and a future to be extremely excited about. Life seemed, well, perfect. Derek was the senior vice president of a big insurance company in Manhattan, and he was making a large salary. With three young children, this growing family decided now was the right time to purchase their dream home. Maria Broaddus had grown up in the well-to-do community of Westfield, New Jersey. The location, just 45 minutes from New York, but still with a safe small town vibe, made it perfect for young working families with children. It was rated as one of the safest and wealthiest towns in America. And within Westfield, the place to live was on the boulevard. It was a picturesque neighborhood lined with trees and grand historic homes. So, when the gorgeous six-bedroom, four-bathroom home at 657 Boulevard, just blocks away from Maria's childhood home, went up for sale, the family decided it was time to buy. Even with the hefty $1.4 million price tag, the home was within their budget, and it had everything they wanted. That doesn't mean, though, that they didn't have a lot of renovations to make, to make their dream a reality. In fact, at first, Derek and Maria considered tearing the home down to rebuild from scratch. Ultimately, though, they decided renovating was a better plan, and that's what they did. Over the coming weeks, contractors would be in and out of what would be their new residence, updating and bringing the lovely home back to life. And just three days after they closed on the home, they were nearly ready to move in as Derek was finishing up some painting and a few other repairs. It was a little after 10 when he sat down his paintbrush for the night and got ready to head back to their previous residence where they were still staying until their new home was done. But first, he walked out to the front porch to check the mail. Since they weren't officially moved in yet, the mailbox was full of your usual junk mail that a family gets, like coupons and advertisements, but there was also an intriguing piece of personal mail addressed vaguely to the new owner in large, sloppy handwriting. The letter read, Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. The letter made it apparent that even though the Broaddus family had not officially moved into their new home yet, there were eyes upon them, tracking their every move. 
This anonymous stalker knew intimate details of their lives, including information about their children, who were 5, 8, and 10 years old. The letter went on. I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tsk, tsk, tsk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Are there more on the way? Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family, or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Who am I? Hundreds of cars pass by the house every single day. Maybe I am in one. Check all of the windows that can be seen from 657 Boulevard. Perhaps I am in one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. The Watcher. This letter sent chills up Derek Broaddus's spine, and he immediately went into panic mode. When did this letter get delivered? Could this person still be on the property watching him? A nervous Derek called the police, and an officer quickly arrived on his doorstep. What the fuck is this? That's how the officer on the scene reacted when he read the words in the eerie letter. He also asked Derek if Derek or his family had any enemies, to which Derek responded that he couldn't think of anyone who would write such a letter. This police officer gave Derek Broaddus the usual advice to, you know, be careful, keep the doors locked, and call if they saw anything suspicious, but then he was on his way. So who would send such creepy correspondence? Was it a serious threat or maybe just a really bad joke? Well, Derek and Maria would compose an email to the previous homeowners that very night to try to get more insight as to what was happening here. In the Broaddus' email to John and Andrea Woods, the couple who sold them 657 Boulevard, they asked them if they had any idea who the watcher might be or why the author had written the specific lines stating, I asked the Woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened. Andrea Woods replied the very next morning. Turns out, just a few days before moving out of 657 Boulevard, John and Andrea Woods had also received a letter from the Watcher. Andrea described the note as odd. The letter to the Woods family also stated that the Watcher's family had been in charge of observing the home over the decades. But this was odd to Andrea because she claimed that she and her husband had never received anything like it in their 23 years in the house. They threw the letter away without much thought. However, Derek and Maria Broaddus would request the Woodses to come to the police station with them the next day to file a report. There, Detective Leonard Lugo told all of them not to tell anybody about the letters, including their new neighbors, most of whom they had never met yet, and all of whom were now suspects. As unsettling and as ominous as this letter was, it was just a letter, after all, right? 
I mean, nothing had actually happened to them yet. Maybe they could just chalk it all up to some weird neighbor who was unhappy with the renovations they made, or some twisted teenager trying to spook the new family. While Derek and Maria were definitely on high alert after this incident, even going so far as to having Derek cancel a business trip out of town so that Maria and the kids wouldn't be left alone, they decided to move forward with their renovations and their plans of moving in. Home improvement projects continued. They kept working on the home, moving a lot of their belongings in, and connecting with their new neighbors, all while keeping a close eye on their children, though and staying hyper-aware of what was going on around them. One day they arrived to work on the house, only to find that a very heavy sign that had been hammered into the ground had been ripped out or pushed over. Was this an act of simple teen vandalism, or was it the watcher making their presence known? On another day, some neighbors stopped by the home to introduce themselves and take a tour of the renovation progress. Derek Broaddus' heart would stop when the woman would state to him, It'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. Um, hello? Hello? Red flag, ding, ding, ding. What kind of creep talks like this? Was this the watcher? Well, so we don't officially know if it was or wasn't, and not much was said about it after that. I tried to find more information in news articles about that possibility, but there was just this one line. Literally, that's all I found. There just wasn't much at all. So we're going to move on from that, and I wish there was more information on the neighbor who said that, because I think it's way, way too crazy of a speech similarity to be a mere coincidence. But I guess pretend I didn't say that. Moving on. So, two weeks had gone by after receiving the first letter from the watcher, and then Maria stopped over at the house to check out some paint samples and to check the mail, when a familiar-looking piece of mail was once again nestled in the mailbox. Letter number two from the watcher made it completely evident that this lurker had been watching the family more closely than ever now. The letter called everyone in the home by name, including their children, and made note about specific details about the broadest children, including their birth order, details of their activities, and even some remarks about some of the things the kids had been playing with. The watcher even knew the kids' nicknames. So while Maria waited for the police to arrive at the property, she read the newest words that the watcher had for them. Mr. and Mrs. Broadus, welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy, and I have been watching you unload, careful of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. The house is crying from all the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old and so did my father, but he kept watching until the day he died, and now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time they will. I am pleased to know your names now, 
and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement, or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic, or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the Watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. The Watcher. Who was the Watcher? Even more, what did the Watcher want from the Broadus family, and what evil plan was this stalker waiting to execute? Derek and Maria Broadus decided right then and there that all their worst fears were indeed not an overreaction and that it was time to stop bringing their children around the home. Someone was obviously watching their every move and threatening to do them harm. Whether these were just hollow threats or something far more sinister, Derek and Maria had no intention of finding out. They were done. And at this point... They weren't even sure if they still wanted to move into what they had hoped would be their dream home. Was it worth all the trouble? Were their lives in danger if they did? That's a question they'd continue to ponder in the coming weeks right before a third letter from the Watcher arrived. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. So the Broadus family, as well as the previous homeowners, John and Andrea Woods, together with police, began to formulate some possible ideas to explain the source of the letters. What they first wanted to determine was, could it have been someone in the neighborhood? 
Inspecting the letters themselves, the postmarks showed that they were definitely sent locally, or at least within close proximity. The first letter was postmarked June 4th, which was before the sale of the house ever even went public because no for sale sign was ever posted in the yard. So whoever sent the first letter would have had to have a somewhat intimate knowledge of the fact that the house was being sold. Additionally, John and Andrea Woods admitted to also getting a letter in the mail before they moved out of 657 Boulevard, so the person who sent their letter would have to have known about the sale as well. Property in Westfield, New Jersey is highly sought after, and it's a common occurrence for buyers there to get into bidding wars against each other, with homes frequently selling for far above appraised value. And 657 Boulevard was no exception to that. When the Broadus family purchased their home from the Woodses, they weren't the only potential buyers interested in it. There were multiple offers. So, was the watcher someone who had also had hopes of making the home theirs, and, in an effort to get into the home, attempted to drive the Broadus family out with fear and intimidation? That possibility was looked into, but the other families who made offers on the home seemed to have alibis and explanations, and it just didn't seem like a realistic possibility. The competing buyers seemed to have no ill will regarding the home, and they were not likely the senders of the letters. It was literally driving Derek and Maria Broadus to the brink of insanity, not knowing who could be stalking them, not knowing who was watching every move their family made. They continued to half-heartedly make an attempt to meet their new neighbors, attend neighborhood barbecues and summer soirees, all while not being able to share with anyone that someone was secretly making their lives a living hell. Police had instructed them to tell nobody and to act perfectly normal, which was difficult because the watcher hijacked all their thoughts all day long. Derek and Maria recalled attending a party at a neighbor's home with their children and seeming like the ultimate helicopter parents, not letting the kids out of their sight for even a moment, yelling their kids' names if they wandered off more than a few feet away to play with other children. And it was at this party where Derek Broaddus gained insight to one of the oddball, eccentric families on the block. In a conversation with John Schmidt, who lived two doors down from Derek and Maria, he told Derek about the Langford family. The Langfords lived right in between the Broadduses and the Schmidts, and they were known to be a little out there, but harmless for the most part. Peggy Langford, who was in her 90s, lived in the home with several of her adult children, all of whom were in their 60s. Now, while I actually think that kind of sounds nice because I'm really close to my family, uh, most people would see that as a little odd. The strangest one of the bunch was Michael, the son, who was described as having a beard like Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> Sorry, I like that. Beards. Beards are sexy. So police did bring Michael Langdon down for questioning, and they said that Langdon's speech pattern and a lot of the details he discussed actually did line up with the style that the letters were written in. And it seemed to be more than just a coincidence. But they also said that absolutely nothing could be done. There was no crime here. Nobody had actually done anything yet, and police stated that it would probably all be okay. 
probably. Well, Derek Broaddus was not okay with probably, and he was on a mission to find the Watcher. He installed cameras everywhere in and outside of the home. He spent night after night crouched behind windows in the dark in an attempt to spot anyone lurking in the shadows. But nothing. His life basically turned into a movie. He had papers, photos, maps, legal documents spread out everywhere. He made charts for himself showing which houses were within earshot of theirs and of names of all the homeowners and when the homeowners had moved into their homes. Every second of Derek's life was used for recon. Derek feared that his wife, Maria, had begun to think he had lost his mind. And he kind of felt like he had. The Broaddus family enlisted in the help of private investigators, the FBI, private security consultants, and numerous others with experience in solving crimes and profiling criminals. They did finally determine a possible profile of who the Watcher might be, and those details included someone older, given the style and certain words that were chosen in the letters, also someone who may have been an avid reader based on their vocabulary and the dramatic style of writing. They also determined it was probably someone who wasn't very masculine. They thought the person may have a somewhat impulsive and erratic behavior pattern and had a lot of anger directed towards wealthy people. These possible personality traits, though, did not bring them any closer to a suspect. While the oddball neighbor, Michael Langdon, seemed like a potential fit for the Watcher, there was absolutely no hard evidence pointing directly to him or giving them an opportunity to make an arrest. Langdon had diagnosed yet controlled schizophrenia, and all the people who knew him would say that it made him do occasionally a few things that people would call odd, but that he had a very kind heart and he was not a threat to anyone. While they kept their focus mainly on the eccentric Langdon family, there were other people they should have been looking into. There were multiple sex offenders in the neighborhood, and there were some other neighbors who lived behind 657 Boulevard who seemed to keep a suspiciously close eye on the Broaddus home. Every new possible suspect turned into a big pile of nothing, and the Broaddus family grew increasingly disheartened, paranoid, and anxious about the thought of moving into their new home. They looked into getting watchdogs, they installed security alarms, and they enlisted in the help of part-time security guards. Running out of ideas, they even had a priest come bless the home. Shockingly, there were several instances of the alarm system going off in the middle of the night, but nothing ever came of that. It just became a situation where moving into their dream home became a complete nightmare. They spent $1.4 million on this house, plus the cost of renovations. But what price were they ultimately willing to pay, and was it worth it? Finally, they got lawyers involved. Actually, everyone got lawyers involved. They had lawyers communicating with the Langdon family, who also had lawyers. They had lawyers communicating with John and Andrea Woods, who sold them the house. And that ended up in a lawsuit between the two families. 
Derek and Maria Broadus sued John and Andrea Woods for not disclosing the letter they had received from the watcher prior to the closing. They stated that the Woods family knowingly withheld information from them that the house had a stalker. But the Woodses maintained that in over two decades of living at 657 Boulevard, nothing like this had ever happened. They regarded the letter as more strange than threatening, adding that they never felt watched and rarely even locked their doors at night. So, at this point, the Broadus family made the decision not to move into the house that had caused so much turmoil in their lives. They put the house back on the market, but rumors swirled, as they do, and the seemingly cursed house sat on the market with no interested buyers. But the media caught wind of this story, and it went viral. The Broadus family began receiving hundreds of media requests. Every morning show and entertainment news source seemed to be doing short pieces featuring the Broadus' story. Entire subreddits were formed to discuss possible theories on this case, and everyone had their own opinions about who the Watcher was. The townspeople of Westfield panicked after this story went viral. People were frightened and baffled by this incredible mystery. Now, it wasn't just the Broadus family who looked at every person they walked past on the street as potentially being the Watcher, but everyone in the Westfield community shared that same paranoia. Things would take a disappointing turn when police announced to the Broadduses that they obtained DNA from the envelopes the letters arrived in. The DNA was female. Immediately, investigators obtained DNA samples from the females in the Langdon family next door, but none of them were a match. And ultimately, police officially denounced anyone in the Langdon family as possibly having anything to do with the Watcher letters. And now, the mystery would really deepen. Who was the Watcher? Quite literally, nobody had a clue. With no leads, detectives would go back and request a DNA sample from Andrea Woods, the previous homeowner of 657 Boulevard. And they would also question the Woods' son. And again, this would lead to nothing. Investigators would have a potential lead pop up one night when they were staking out the property. A car drove up to 657 Boulevard and sat there for quite a while. Police questioned the owner of the car, a woman who would tell them that she thought her boyfriend could have perhaps had something to do with the letters. Especially noteworthy was the fact that he was a gamer, and in one of the video games he played, he named his avatar The Watcher. Police attempted to contact the boyfriend, who was actually a previous resident of a home on the boulevard. But in a super frustrating turn of events, the young man would never show up for questioning, and police would say they didn't have enough evidence to pursue anything with him. Another promising lead would pop up when someone else in Westfield came forward stating that right around the time when Derek and Maria received their first note from the Watcher, they also received a note from the Watcher. They found it strange, not really threatening though, and since this was before anything had come out in the news about it yet, they just threw the letter away and gave it no further thought. 
So every time there was a lead, it would dry up and lead to absolutely nothing. And this kept happening. And with no leads and with how people are, they started formulating ideas in their heads that maybe there were no leads because nobody out in the public sector was involved. And maybe the Broadduses themselves made the entire story up. They theorized that maybe Derek and Maria sent the letters to themselves and orchestrated the entire thing. But why would they do that? Well, some people suspected that after closing on the $1.4 million fixer-upper, Derek and Maria got buyer's remorse. That was a lot of money after all. Maybe they wanted or needed out. But if that were the case, why would they spend so much time, money, and energy on home surveillance, private investigators, and lost wages, especially knowing that the trail may very well lead right back to them if they were lying? Some would speculate that the Broadus family had big dreams of creating so much hype around the Watcher letters that the entire story had been made up in an effort to get a book offer or a movie deal out of it. Or maybe they were cooking up an insurance fraud scheme. Everyone in town seemed to have a theory, but most of them were very far-fetched and quickly debunked. Investigators all agreed this family had absolutely nothing to do with the Watcher letters. And even with that, the community quickly turned on the Broadus family. Rumors continued to be spread. Animosity from townspeople grew as they worried about property values and they started resenting the Broadus family for claiming that the community they all loved might not be as safe as they thought it was. Other kids began picking on the Broadus children, and the whole town just really turned against them. And this was incredibly hurtful, since, after all, this was the community that Maria Broadus had grown up in. It was where her parents lived, and it was where she wanted to return to raise her own children. Literally, years would go by, and in 2017, the Broadus family would still be paying this exorbitant mortgage on their empty dream home, while also renting a second home in which they felt safer. They continued to hash out legal issues, battle with the city council on their options, and all the while, they kept trying to sell the home that had turned into such a huge nightmare for them. The house sat empty for so long, two and a half years to be exact, and then, finally, it did get a new resident. Squirrels. Yep, squirrels moved into the attic, and this was just another huge headache for Derek Broaddus to have to take care of. As he tended to the repairs, like so many others he'd made at 657 Boulevard over the years, He ran down to the mailbox to check for any bills that may have accumulated while they were away. And, shockingly, there was another letter from the Watcher. Violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the Watcher is? Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the Watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. 
I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the Boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. I will have revenge. Maybe a car accident. Maybe a fire. Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. This letter was just taunting them. What more could the Watcher really take from them? The author had robbed the Broadus family of years of happiness, stolen their dream home from them, cost them their entire savings, destroyed friendships, and now, what was a house to Derek and Maria Broadus, really? What was a house, now, at this point? The dream was dead to the Broadduses, but they made it out alive, and that was all that mattered, and it was enough. Eventually, Derek and Maria Broadus would find a brave renter to rent the home, which helped soften the financial blow a bit, but still didn't even cover the cost of the mortgage, taxes, and insurance. And then, in 2019, five years after the first letter they received from the watcher, the house would finally be purchased by a new set of owners. Derek and Maria Broadus ended up taking a huge hit of nearly half a million dollars just for the sake of being rid of this house. They could finally be free of the Watcher's grip, but would they ever be the same? Who was the Watcher? Well, to this day, we still don't know their identity or their motive. In one final letter, the Watcher had a few dark words for Derek and Maria Broadus before parting ways forever. You are despised by the house, and the Watcher won. This has been True Crime IRL, and I'm your host, Kelly Barron's Brink. If you enjoyed the sinister sounds of the Watcher in this episode, well, that was my fiendish friend, Miles Tritel. Go listen to his podcast, The Warning Woods, wherever you get your podcasts, and follow him on Instagram at The Warning Woods. 
And if you like my podcast, which you better, give me a five-star rating and a stellar review, please. I really appreciate it. And be sure to follow me on all the socials at True Crime IRL. Until next time, lock your doors, people. Especially if you're getting like weird letters from some scary, vintagey, weird-sounding person who threatens you and makes you feel unsafe and might be looking through your windows or something. You never know who's watching. Bye-bye.